Elliot, I snuffled. About the mermaids. It's all of life. What ought to happen, but when you know it isn't gonna. What is it? Ginger said. She and Fig shared a suite with us, connected by a bath. Ginger was as slow to study as she was quick to laugh. It took the entire sisterhood to get her through. I read her the Elliot, and she said, And that's what you're bawling about? I think it's one of the most romantic things I ever heard. Fig breathed, her eyes swimming. And sad, really sad. If one of us were to hear the mermaids, who should it be? She said. It was the kind of precious thing she was always proposing. If I were a famous woman of history, who do you think I'd be, Kate? Grendel's mother, Cece snapped once. That's good, Cece. I'm going to put that in my diary, she said, and Cece groaned. Her diary was infamous. She wrote in it almost constantly. Often I would feel Fig's eyes on me and look and see her staring, and she would smile mysteriously, drop her eyes, and scribble in the diary. She knew who Grendel's mother was, though. Her grade point average alone was worth the rest of Fig to the Omegas. She was an English major. She meant to be a writer. Sometimes when someone asked her what she was writing, she would say, I'm writing about all of you and how proud I am to be a tri-omega. Fig had lived her entire life in the shadow of Ginger's father's mill. It was the Fowler Kiwana scholarship that sent her to Randolph. Fig's people were as poor as Ginger's were rich. Poor Fig. Her name was Georgine Newton, but she had been called Fig from birth. She was pale, puffy, frizzy-haired, sly-eyed, and had the smile of an abused dog. When we pledged Ginger and she moved in with Fig, we had a lottery to see how long she could bear the gogglings and snortings. Oh, Lord, Cece would say when Fig's name came up. She disliked Fig, but she could not avoid Fig. We never talked much about it except that she cautioned me. I had learned to make light of Fig's adoration. I thought I knew how she must feel but I soon developed a skill at mimicking her and used it when Cece and I lay in our beds. Shh! Cece would gasp through her laughter. She'll hear you! Through a bathroom and two walls. I wouldn't get on her bad side. She's not what she seems. You're nuts, I said, and went on being polite to Fig in her presence and laughing at her in the nights. Who would it be? Fig insisted. I think it would be you, Kate. You'll be the one who hears the mermaids. I'll bet you do already. No, Ginger said, surprising us. It'll be Cece. Don't you see? It has to be Cece. And I smiled because, of course, she was right. It would be Cece to whom they sang. Behind her glasses and Virginia drawl. I know they never, after that year, sang to me. If I had had a different name and nose, I would have had a different life. My nose is the type called aristocratic, a twin to my father's. The Lee nose, I often heard him say in his careless drawl. 
Which Lee that was, I can't remember anyone asking. My name is Catherine Stewart Lee. My father would have shot himself upon hearing I had added Abrams to that trio when I married Alan, if he had not done so already. Daddy was indeed a Lee, and did attend the University of Virginia, but he was Charles Horace Lee of Canton, Indiana, and the steward he bestowed did not exist at all. Some idiot from Sweetbriar told my father he looked like General Jeb Stewart, and another branch of my family tree sprouted. My mother was not the belle Charles presented her to be, but the daughter of a grocery store proprietor in Slattery, Mississippi, of such murderous temper that Lonnie May Coolidge ran away when she was 15. Charles Lee met her when he took a job washing dishes in the cafe where she worked as a waitress. Later, he was fond of saying, She hung around Lynchburg so long I married her. Everyone assumed it was Randolph Macon Women's College, not the Virginia Bell Cafe. If asked her class, May Lee only had to wrinkle her nose and murmur, I never graduated. Charles married me and brought me to Alabama when I was 18. Daddy almost had a fit. Charles Lee did have the kind of passion capable of sweeping her away. It was agreed in Kenmore, 60 miles south of Montgomery, that there was a lot of his great-grandfather Robert E. in young Charles. A few older women also thought there was a similarity to the dashing Fitzgerald who carried off Judge Sayers' girl, though it was agreed that May Lee was prettier and sweeter than Wild Zelda. My father did nothing to discourage either similarity. The precarious living he earned from his insurance career went for renting a dilapidated antebellum mansion on the Santee River, west of Kenmore. The abiding impression I have of it now is dust, dimness, and echoing silence broken by my footfalls. There they drank martinis, and there I read. Everything, everywhere, whenever I could. When I was not reading or in school, my father tutored me in what he called the ways of the world. How to speak, converse, and meet people. How to order from a menu. How to choose wine. I did not ask what world he meant or see that it existed inside his head. He taught, I learned. Daddy gave it about that his money was going to buy back his family place in Virginia. When he was able, he would take my mother and me back there. All of Kenmore applauded his fine spirit, and no one mentioned when he fell behind in his dues at the country club or his chit at the grocery. No one remarked when my mother found a job as secretary to the principal of the high school. No one thought it anything but admirable when, at 13, I took jobs about town to help pay for the clothes that saw me through high school. No more ten-cent stores for you this summer, he said, swirling the martini glass. You're going to work on the cape, and I think we're going to let your hair grow and put it up. We used to call it a French twist. It looks like money. Do they pay you for wearing it? I said smartly. Then I wouldn't have to work on the cape or anywhere else. I don't want to go away by myself. I'm barely 16. Girls from the best families fight to be waitresses on the cape. They meet Ivy League boys and girls. They make contacts that are useful the rest of their lives. You're young for it, but I don't see any point in making you hang around summers anymore. You'll have the time of your life. Trust me, you'll have more dates than any girl from Bar Harbor to Rehoboth Beach. I look like an ostrich, and I'm going to look like an ostrich on Cape Cod. You're going to look like they do, only better. 
You have a smile that can light up a room. You want to watch you don't use it too often. It's that smile against all that coolness that's so effective. Watch carefully and see what the girls are wearing this summer, and that's what we'll invest your money in. Papa, I don't belong there. Please don't make me go. He pulled me to my feet and led me to the vast downstairs bathroom and stood me in front of the mirror. He stood behind me. Look, he said. That girl doesn't belong in this town. By May, he had secured me a position. It's just right, he said. Fifty rooms on the water. You'll have nights free, bonfires, weenie roasts, and Sundays off for sailing. Harbor House is quiet, but it's old money. Beecham Childs takes his family there every summer. His girl, Sidney, used to work there. He's the one got you in there on short notice. I wrote him last month. Are they old money? I said, not sure what he meant. Champ's family had quarries. His father turned it into southern cyanamid. I thought of going in with him after graduation, but I wanted my own business. We used to run together at Virginia. Was he in your fraternity, I said? The gold Kappa Alpha shield he kept in a box on his dresser was the totem he cherished most. When he'd had three martinis, he would tell of the brothers and say, Kate, May, when I die, I want to be buried in the shield. I thought of the Kappa Alpha house often in those days. My father had described it so I could see every polished floorboard and smell lemon wax. When he did die, two springs later, he lay in a closed casket because of the damage the bullet had done to his beautiful head. I did not know that he had not, after all, been buried wearing the shield until after I found it in his bureau days later.